This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 83 of the Catholic Foodie, Beer, Beans, and Breakfast. That's right, folks. Welcome to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I am your host, Jeff Young. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk a lot of bees today. The beer, the beans, the breakfast, lots of good things going on. Uh, you know, you, you could mix all those together. You could have beer and beans for breakfast. Goodness. Uh, we're also going to have a review of a cookbook. This one is a cookbook for kids. I'm very excited about this cookbook. It's called Now You're Cooking. Very, very cool. We've got feedback. i got a health tip tip for you about breakfast, and we have lots more. So make sure you stick around here, the Catholic foodie, where food meets faith. Man, I should have said this in the intro. I have also got an exciting, a very exciting announcement to make. Actually, I'm calling this a (laughs) pre-announcement because I don't have all the details for you. I don't have it all ironed out, but it is, it is, it is a, a, an exciting thing. It's a pre-announcement. And on top of that, I forgot to mention, we have an excellent interview today with the Catholic Drinky. That's right. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie, and we're going to have the Catholic Drinky on. And uh, you may remember that story from last episode, or actually two episodes back, 81, after I came back from the CNMC I talked to you about the Catholic drink. It was something that was born out of the delightfully warped and twisted mind of Mac Barron. He had no idea what he was creating when he came up with the the, the words Catholic drinky, right, as opposed to the Catholic foodie. Uh, But somebody took that idea and ran with it at the CNMC. It was a running joke, but we also uh, uh, had a lot of really good discussion about what what kind of blog could the Catholic Drinky be? So we have Sarah Vabulous with us today on the show to talk about the Catholic Drinky. Then we have that uh, that announcement I'm talking to you about. And let me just give you a hint as to what that announcement's about. It's about a book. That's right. You've heard me mention from time to time that I am writing a book. That's right, a Catholic foodie book. It's something that is totally different than all those cookbooks you find out there in the Catholic world that deal with saints and liturgical feasts and all that good stuff, which is wonderful. But my concept is just a little bit different and unique. So we're going to talk about that today. I have a health tip for you. Uh, Oh, hamburgers. You know, we talked about hamburgers just a few episodes back. It was around July 4th, okay? It was somewhere around there. I can't remember the exact date. But we talked about hamburgers, and I gave you a couple of tips of things that I do and I wanted to share something in addition to that. Is it just a, a little extra, a little lanyap we say down here? Something extra uh, about hamburgers and how I prepare hamburgers and the different things you can put in them. That's that's what we're going to talk about. And then a staple of South Louisiana, a staple of South Louisiana, red beans and rice. Red beans and rice. So, okay, we got the we got the beer, we got the beans. We're going to have the breakfast, and we've got all kind of things going on here, folks. Uh, that's right. We're going to talk about red beans and rice. It's not my recipe. I'm going to give you Marcel Bienvenu's recipe, who is a famous cookbook writer and chef down here in Louisiana. Uh, I'm going to give her, I'm going to give you her recipe, but I'm also going to tell you how it's different than, than mine. Just a few helpful suggestions. If you like beans and you've never had, like, Louisiana, New Orleans, red beans and rice, 
Oh, you just missing out, of course, you know. You just missing out, Cher. All right, we got feedback today. We got Mary in the kitchen, and we have that review I was telling you about. Now you're cooking. So, first of all, we're going to start. This is a new format. This is a new, I don't know what you call it. It's a new format. It's like a meal. So we're going to start with that prayer I told you about a couple of episodes back. This is just a reflection slash before meals prayer that I have come up with. Uh, once again, I give you something like this every episode, just something to kind of spark your, uh, your, your thinking and uh, maybe give you some ideas of ways to think about uh, food and faith that you may not have considered before and how to bring that into your, um, uh, your family meals. Uh, I also will post this on the website over at catholicfoodie.com, and the exact URL, the direct URL for this particular post will be catholicfoodie.com slash beer dash, uh, what's the second thing we have? Beans, okay, beer dash beans dash breakfast, all right? catholicfoodie.com slash beer dash beans dash breakfast. That's where you can go. And you'll find this prayer printed there. So let's, let's start with this prayer. God, our Father, as we gather around our family table, place a growing desire in our hearts to gather with thanksgiving around the table of your living word. May the food we are about to receive direct our thoughts toward the living bread come down from heaven that we receive at your altar. Thank you, Father, for these gifts and for all good things that come from you. Amen. I don't really drink, you know. Of course you don't. I wouldn't either if I was drinking that. But you would have to be an idiot of elephantine proportions not to appreciate this 61 Chateau de la Tour. And you, Monsieur Linguini, are no idiot. <laughs> Let us toast your non-idiocy. Well, as I mentioned earlier and in a previous episode, uh, I got to meet Sarah Vabulous over the weekend at the CNMC in Boston. And uh, Sarah and I have communicated several times, of, you know, over the, uh, the, the Internet uh, whether it was through um, uh, Facebook or Twitter or, you know, any number of different things, email. Uh, but we never met face-to-face, so it was a pleasure to meet her. And she was the one who had been looking for a really good idea for a blog. And I'm going to let her tell the story. See, I had the pleasure the other night of interviewing her for the show. I uh, wasn't doing the show live, but I went ahead and pre-recorded that interview to share with you today and I just can't, I just can't wait. So I'm going to shut up. And I'm going to let Sarah tell you her story. And uh, when we come back from the interview, I'll have a few, uh, just a little bit uh, extra to say about that. All right, we're now in our aperitif section. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, good drink, a good drink that can, um, uh, what's the word, jumpstart your appetite. And we're very fortunate today. We have Sarah Vabulous with us. And, you know, she's been quite famous lately. Uh, we met at the CNMC, and uh, she started a new blog. So, Sarah, welcome, first of all. Hi. 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, I started this blog at the CMC. It's CatholicDrinky.com. Um, and I just I was inspired by Matt Barron's talk on Saturday morning where he was uh, giving a speech much in the, in the era of Steve Jobs. And, you know, he, he was talking about Catholic foodie, and they said one blog that SQPN wouldn't do was Catholic Drinky. And, and I couldn't help but think, wow, that's, that's me. That's perfect for me. I'm, I'm a beer enthusiast. Um, I am a member of a beer club in Atlanta, and I have had almost 225 beers, unique beers, um, on draft um, or in the bottle um, at a restaurant called Taco Back. And um, I just absolutely love beer. I have a passion for it. For me, it's an art form. Um, the way that they brew these beers, um, the way that they all taste different, um, it's just something that I love to explore and has really opened up my palate. Uh, and it's just such a passion for me and my friends to be able to go out try something new, decide what we like and what we don't like, but drink it nonetheless. <laughs> Very good. And so you, Mac had no idea what he was uh, starting that day. Um, and it, it was really quite funny. It, it became almost like a running joke for the weekend. And uh, But it was very inspirational for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mac had no idea when he was making that joke that morning that, that someone was sitting in the crowd that was saying to themselves, you know, I'm looking for a new topic for a blog, and here I am, and wow, you just you just gave me the perfect idea. You know, I have a bunch of friends who run beer blogs, so I thought to myself, I'm, I'm not as much of an expert as they are, so what what good do I have to offer? But just being there with, with all these wonderful Catholic people and all the blogs that they run and, and hearing about them and getting to, to know more about them, I said to myself, why can't I, why can't I write a blog about about beer or wine or you know some of the liquors I like to drink and, and we've had in with my passion for my Catholic faith. Um, two of the things that I love most in life are a good beer and and my beautiful Catholic faith. It just means so much to me. And, you know, we Catholics we love to to have a beer or two every now and again. So why not relate the two um, while sitting at the bar? That, that's right. You know, it's it's funny because. Uh, our, our Protestant brothers and sisters don't always have the same view that we do of alcohol. And uh, it, it's a very Catholic thing when you think about it. I mean, it's scriptural. You see wine throughout uh, the Old Testament. And, of course, the New and Jesus changed water into wine. And it, it doesn't seem like it was something to be um, feared. Rather, it was something that was given to humanity, really, you know, to, to, to help yeah. us to, uh, to be joyful. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the other day I was just I was thinking about it and, you know, brainstorming more about my blog, and I couldn't help but think, I bet that wine that Jesus made at the wedding of Cana was probably the best wine in the history of the world. Uh, and I couldn't help but think, man, I wish that I were lucky enough to have been there to taste that wine. And wine is such a holy thing. And you think about all these monks that exist um, in Europe, and, and even here in the United States, that brew their own beer. You know, there, there can't be something wrong when there's a church that supports and 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 they get some money from from brewing their own beers. In fact, I've had the privilege of tasting some of these beers made by made by some of these monks, and they are, in my opinion, some of the best beers of the whole entire world. And that's one of the things that I want to do on my blog uh, is write about these beers. Um, that'll be my first series that I dig into probably in the next week or so. Um, detailing blogs from all across the world, or breweries from all across the world that are that are that are made by monks. I mean, how, how much more Catholic can it be that that you're drinking a beer that's made 
by by a monk halfway around the world, but you have the same faith and the same beliefs, and then you celebrate the same mass every single day. That's right. That's it's a really amazing. You know, I've heard stories too about uh, some of these European monasteries where during Lent, you uh, the, the monks would fast on beer. Now, of course, we're not talking Bud Light or Miller Light or whatever. We're talking about substantial, heavy beer. But they would have they would get I think like three, um, three pints a day or something like that. I can't remember the details, but I mean it's amazing to think that <laughs> you're talking about. Catholic monks and they're fasting during Lent on beer. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. That's one of my favorite stories about about some of these monks is that during Lent they don't they don't eat, but in in lieu of eating, they'll have a beer, and that gives them the calories that they need to get through the day. But to them, it, it's acceptable. I mean, it, it's it is their it is their way of surviving. And just for me, it's like I, I mean, I'm sitting at a bar right now and I'm looking at a hundred caps of beer. And I just came up with think, you know, this is one of the greatest things that we have going on. It is just the, the passion for beer that has come out in the United States in the last, you know, three to five, maybe 10 years. Um, it's like, it's like wine now, the way that, that they brew beer. It's just such a passion. And I'm just so excited to be able to, to share my faith and my love of beer to the world. That's right. You know, just the other day, uh, I think it was on NPR. I could be wrong about that. It was on the radio. There was a, a story on beer and how nowadays you're hearing a lot about pairings. I mean, typically we're used to hearing about wine, right? How does it pair well with this dish or that dish or whatever? But now you've got people, I guess connoisseurs out there talking about how do you pair beer with these particular dishes? It's, it's really kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. And the restaurant that uh, Takamak that I that I, uh, that I drink at most of the time, they have beer dinners um, about once a month, once every two months, and so they have their their master chef um, design a, a menu that's that's perfectly paired with an entree or the appetizer, whatever whatever course it is, with a beer that goes with it. And you would just never believe how how perfect the pairings are because beer is so different. You know, you have your porters and you have your stouts. But then you have your Hefeweizens and you have your lagers and you have your pale ales and, and they all go differently with different food. And it, it just, it just, you know, it, to me, I, I feel like there's more variety in beer now than there is wine. Um, wine is awesome and I absolutely love it. But the, the depth and the change that you can, that you can taste from the start of a beer that was just poured on draft to when it's when it's warmer, when it's been sitting for about fifteen or twenty minutes, how the flavor changes is much like wine, and, and it's a total art form. And uh, and I just you know I, I'm just I just can't wait for more people to to see this about beer and to just not think that everything tastes like a Budweiser. Budweiser's okay, but there are so many better things out there than than, than Budweiser. Very true, very true. And you know it's funny you mentioned that about the temperature of the beer, but. Um, I think we're, we tend, at least in the United States, we tend to think of, oh, you know, I want an ice cold beer. When in reality, if you're talking about craft beers or you're talking about the imports, um, some of those beers are meant to be, uh, uh, I guess, what is the word? Drank? <laughs> Drunk? They're meant to be yeah. had um, um, at, at, a, at, a, at a warmer temperature. Yeah, last night um, I had an Allagash Triple um, it is a Belgian-style ale, um, one of my favorite styles of beer, as a matter of fact. Um, when I started the beer, 
um, it was just out of the fridge, very cold, but I let it sit for about half an hour. And the flavor change in the beer was just unreal. It, it came out and it had some full flavors, but it was definitely masked by the cold temperature. And as the beer warmed, the beer actually got sweeter to the point where I took it to one of my friends who was at the party I was at and said, hey, try this beer. And she tried it. And she could tell the difference between when it was ice cold and when it wasn't. And that just speaks volumes to me that someone who knows absolutely nothing about beer, who really doesn't even like beer, can taste the difference in the temperature from when it first came out, when it was a little more bitter. Not, it was good, but not for everybody. And then by the time it warmed a little, I had you could taste the caramel, the sweeter flavors of this Allagash Triple. That's wonderful. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just as you were talking, I was thinking too uh, what we said earlier about uh, the Catholic dimension, right? Our faith, and you know, there's a lot of parallels between um, our faith and like making bread. You know, you, you've hear you've heard those before. You, Jesus refers to how you know the the yeast inside of the bread it it kind of forms the entire loaf, right? And and there's just it changes it. It's it's like alive. Uh, the yeast. And it just occurred to me that you could really say the same thing about beer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, every beer is made with a different amount of yeast, different types of yeast, um, and, and it does affect the flavor. Um, I'm more into beers recently that, that have the yeast left in the bottles or in the cans or what have you, whatever you, you get from the store. Um, and I just think they're just so much more delicious when they have the yeast left in them. And one of the great things about beer, and if you go to a real beer restaurant or a brewery and they, they serve food, they will they, they bake bread made from the leftover yeast and hops that they pulled out of their brewing process. And if you've never had um, bread made from the leftovers of beer, you got to try it. It is just absolutely amazing, and, it, and it's so wonderful to have as an appetizer when you know that you're going to have a couple really great beers that night. It just... It pairs so perfectly. A little bit of butter on it, and you're set. I've never had that. That sounds great. I need to find a place that'll oh, do that. It's that yeah, is, Jeff. You gotta, you gotta try it. It's so good. That is so cool. I'm have to. I'm making a note right now that that's something I have to try before you know before I go to the next world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you can even make it yourself at home um, if you ever decide to homebrew, or you can get Captain Jeff to send you some of his. And you can use some of his to make your own bread. That's right. You know, I used to brew my own. It's been, uh, goodness, it's been quite a while, probably uh, eight, nine, ten years, something like that. It's been quite a while. Uh, but I, I have all the stuff. I've got all the makings uh, except for the ingredients. Um, so I've, I've been toying with the idea of trying that again. A lot of fun, actually, the whole process. And, and once again, it's that, that process, which to me is amazing. It kind of reminds me of the whole walk of faith, you know, our, our conversion yeah. in the faith. So very cool. Well, I, I have to ask you this. What is your favorite beer right now? Oh, my favorite beer right now. Well, since it's summer and it's a little warm out, um, I've really gotten into the Flemish red ales or the Flemish brown ales, which is actually a sour beer. Most folks are not into them. They're, they are definitely an acquired taste. Uh, but right now my favorite beer is Omegang Rouge. Um, it, it does have a very sour flavor to it. Unfortunately, Omegang is discontinuing my favorite beer, so I'll have to find something new. But um, it, those beers, if you haven't tried a sour beer, I encourage you to do so. 
they are just absolutely like nothing else you will ever try. And if you like if you like Sour Patch Kids, chances are you're gonna love this beer. <laughs> that is, I, I've never tried one. I'll have to uh, put that down on my list too. That's great. Matter of fact, why don't yeah, you? Oh my gang, oh my gang makes the best one. Um, but you can get them. Uh, you can, they're 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 all like veg, Belgian ales, so you'll have to. Most of them come from Europe, um, whereas Oma Gang's from New York. But definitely, you can get them at any specialty beer store. Yeah, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to Google it. Or you know, one of my favorite things to do when it comes to beer is go to beeradvocate.com because they have so many beers available. Uh, like reviews of beers, and it's it's sort of like a um, oh, kind of almost like a social networking forum type thing, where anybody can sign up for an account and they can review beers. So I've I've recommended that particular site on the show before, and I continue to. I use it all the time. If I'm out and I'm gonna have a beer and I've never had it before, I'll take out my iPhone and look up uh, that particular beer on uh, Beer Advocate. So it's it's very helpful to me. I'll have to look up those sour beers. Oh yeah, there, that, that that's a great resource. Also, um, if if you use Foursquare, which is a, a new social networking app that when you go places and you check in, you can get points and you can find out who else has been there. And if you're the person that goes there the most, you could be the mayor. Um, has there's another app that just got released on Friday, as a matter of fact. Um, that's called Beery, and you go there and you can you can check in um, using that, and you can you can take notes of exactly what you drank at the bar and so you can remember what you liked and what you didn't like and then you can remember where you had it so you can share that information with your friends and see if they um, want to go try that beer or not too so it's available on android and on the iphone that is cool it's called beery or maybe uh beerly yeah it, it, it rhymes with nearly beerly beerly wow i didn't know that i'm, I'm looking it up right now <laughs> <laughs> That's the cool thing about uh, these new smartphones. I mean, goodness gracious, you can do so much with those. Um, very cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I take a picture of every beer that I drink, and I post it up on my Flickr account, which you can find at catholicdrinky.com. Ooh, awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen your Flickr account yet, but, you know, I do the same thing with food and, you know, and beer. I do that as well with beer and wine. And But uh, speaking of Catholic drinky, let me ask you this. Uh, this is brand new. It was just released this past week. Just launched this past week. Uh, what are your What are your goals? Your vision? What do you What do you see happening with CatholicDrinky.com? Well, what I want to do with CatholicDrinky.com is um, to really talk about not not only just talk about the beers that I drink and the things that I love, but intertwine intertwine them with our faith. Um, I, I I go and drink at the bar three, four, five times a week. There have been so many fallen away Catholics, so many fallen away Christians that I have met at the bar that I sit down and I talk to over a beer and bring them back. What I'm trying to do with, with my hobby of, of beer drinking is to meet people where they are and bring them back to the church or bring them back to God. And, and there's this one gentleman that I was talking to one night who was a fallen away Catholic, and, and we had a couple beers and we're just sitting there talking about our faith, you know. Who says you're not supposed to talk about religion at the bar? Well, I do, because it's one of the things that I love most. And he started going to Mass again. Wow. So one of my goals with, with my blog is to not just educate people about, about the depth and, and the dynamics of beer, but, but to intertwine it with our faith and just show that you can be a very faithful Catholic, a very faithful Christian, but still have a beer-drinking hobby or a wine-drinking hobby, and you don't have to look down upon it. 
Right, right. Yeah, we have a very kind of Puritan um, attitude toward uh, toward that um, in the in the United States. You know, when you think about Jesus, Jesus hung out with the sinners, and I mean, he was he. You know, if he was around today, like walking with you know with us, um, I think he'd be in bars or pubs or wherever talking to people. Um, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, we are, as Christians in this world, the hands and feet of our Lord Jesus. And, and what better place to meet people who might have some of the most troubles in their life than at the bar. And so I've been blessed with a very outgoing personality and be very friendly. So I can use my gifts and talents to evangelize and bring them closer to the church with my passion and my, my ability to relate to them with my love of beer and their love of beer. You know, it's funny because I was actually a bartender for four, five years, and this was a while back. But I used to have that same kind of experience where, you know, I went to daily mass, and uh, for for at least one part, a certain period of time when I was bartending, I was going to daily mass. I would go to adoration, pray the rosary every day, and here I am going into the bar at night and serving drinks. And when I finally went into the seminary, uh, and the the bishop was uh, yeah having a chat with me. He says, yeah, he goes, so you were, uh, you know, you, you've been bartending. I said, oh, yeah. I said, you know, Bishop, it's um, amazing how similar uh, the priesthood and bartending really, really are. And he just kind of looked at me and with a raised eyebrow. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, I, I can't tell you how many confessions I've heard. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I haven't, I've never given absolution, only absolute. So <laughs> he, got, he got a kick out of that. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. And uh, you know what I tell my friends is, you know, they think I'm nuts for doing this, but but what I've really told them, and, and it truly comes to my heart, is what I want to do with this blog is to meet people where they are, um, right. in order to to just bring them to the faith, uh, whether they've been there or haven't been there yet. Uh, meeting people where they are in life, and not judging them, and understanding where they are is the best way to get folks to understand the love and the passion that you have in your heart for the Catholic Church and for our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's right. Amen. You know, it's, it's funny because I think, too, about um, blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, right? He's a, he was a young man uh, who, unfortunately, he died very young, but he, he used to go out and shoot pool and uh, drink beer with his friends, and he would bet them, you know, if, if he won the pool game, that uh, they'd have to go to Mass with him the next day. So, I mean... <laughs> He, you know, he was he was out there in the trenches, so to speak, but of course having fun because, you know, I mean, out drinking beer with your friends, I mean, that's a that's a good time. But at the same time, he's using the opportunity to spread the faith. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what better opportunity do we have than to go somewhere where you know people are going to be and use that as an opportunity to evangelize? That's right. So here's my blog, CatholicDrinky.com. You know, I go out, I hang out, but I'm a passionate Catholic. <laughs> Amen, and I'm I'm very excited. I'm I'm excited too that I get to. Uh, you've invited me to post uh, things over there at CatholicDrinky.com, and yeah, I think I posted something the other day for the first time. It was uh, on the Giacomo, um, the India Pale Ale from Abita Brewing Company, and one of my favorite beers. Very good stuff. So, Sarah, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Once again, it's Sarah Vabulous over there at Catholic drinky.com that any any last thoughts before we uh before we move on to the next segment 
if anyone's ever interested in, in helping me, you know, write a blog post, if you have a, a good beer that you think that I might need to try or a glass of wine or just any sort of, of alcohol, you let me know. I'm, I'm definitely open to, to guest posts. So please, by all means, contact me at um, catholicdrinky at gmail.com or um, you can find me over at catholicdrinky.com. Excellent. And just to let everybody know, Catholic Drinky, the drinky part ends with an I-E, not a Y. So it's catholicdrinky.com. Sarah, thank you once again for uh, for being with us. It was awesome. Thanks so much. It's such an honor to be on uh, on your podcast. Well, again, I want to thank Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was really fun uh, talking with you. And of course, it was great to meet you at the CNMC. Uh, just so exciting. And uh, you have got a contagious joy about you. And that's one of the things I think about when I think about, uh, believe it or not, when I think about drink or drinky and uh, and Catholicism is you know, you look back in the Psalms and what does the Psalm say about wine, that God gave wine to man to 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 raise his heart, to lift his heart and, and to give him joy. So it, it, there's something about that. And of course, as Catholics, we, we you know, we don't advocate abusing alcohol, uh, but, you know, all things in moderation, they say. But, I mean, goodness gracious, if you look at, uh, if you look at some of the great Catholics uh, early last century, like uh, 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 J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, you look at um, uh, Chesterton, who smoked cigars and loved beer. I mean, it's just great stuff. Of course, you got uh, uh, monks throughout history who have been brewing beer, some of which, or some of whom, uh, would fast on only bread. I'm mean, not bread. I'm sorry, beer, but good beer, strong beer, uh, hearty beer, uh, all of Lent. You know, so we have a a real history here uh, of of um, of just good. I don't know, like a good a good marriage here, a good mix between faith and and drink to begin with. It's just part of our our history, part of our culture. So. Excellent concept, the Catholic drinky. I'm very excited to be considered uh, some, you know, a part of this in some kind of way. So, thank you again, Sarah, so much. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you, and we wish you all the best as you go forth to uh, to raise your glass <laughs> and to say cheers to the world and to all those who come to the Catholic drinky at catholicdrinky.com. Smells good. Those uh, goodies in there. Granny, Granny Puckett, the goodie lady. My goodness, she makes some good goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a, uh, it's like a uh, cookies, shortbread, chocolate icing between. Very. It's good. Uh, it's very good. Well, speaking of good, I think I've got some good news. This is a pre-announcement. I thought, I thought earlier, I actually put in my notes that this was an announcement. But I think I have to revise that and say, no, it's kind of like a pre-announcement because I don't have all the facts yet. I don't have all the details put together. But if you listen to last episode, I talked about my dinner that I had with Dane Faulkner and his wife, Mary Jo, and their young son who slept through half of dinner. Cute little kid. He reminded me, you know, I kind of got homesick when I saw him because I, I I thought of my kids at home. But Dane is full of great ideas. He is, um, I don't know, he, it's just, it's, it's great. It's so awesome to talk to Dane. And he came up with this idea uh, as we were in conversation 
because I've mentioned on the show a number of times before that I've been making notes for a book, okay? I have a different approach than most authors do, most people do when they think of food and faith. I mean, food and faith, what do you think of? You th- I mean, if, if you go out to try to find a cookbook, it'll be kind of like the one that I, I, inter- I reviewed last episode, which was uh, about saints and food, right? Saints at the Table was the name of the cookbook. Or it'll be about the liturgical seasons and food. So that's really the two, I guess, areas where you see food and faith mix uh, in the church, you know, today. So my, my take, though, is, is quite a bit different. I'm going from Scripture, and I love the Word of God. I love Scripture. And I, I see, I, I don't know, I guess it's from reading it over the years so much, from studying it, from being in the seminary, from praying it in the Liturgy of the Hours, whatever it may be, it's like it, just things resonate with me when I read them in Scripture. And you can look from, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, Look back in Genesis. How does sin and death come into the world? Through the act of eating, right? The apple, or well, actually the, the, the text actually says the fruit. Nowhere is an apple mentioned, but it says fruit. Um, it, it's the act of eating, which is, in that case, an act of disobedience. It, we, it brings about sin and death in the world. Now, what is it that brings salvation into the world? Well, you go read John chapter 6, and what does Jesus say? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. You see it also in the, the, the Last Supper uh, accounts in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Jesus, the bread of life, comes down from heaven, and he feeds us with himself, and it's salvation. He's our Savior. So here you have sin and death coming to us, as Scripture says, through the act of eating, but you also have salvation coming to us through the act of eating. Isn't that amazing? To me, that is absolutely amazing. But check this out. It doesn't stop there. Right from Genesis to Revelation, all the way to Revelation 22, the last chapter, the last few verses, Everything, there's a forward movement, and that movement is going to, it's leading up to, it's going toward the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's all about the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that, my friends, it's a feast. (laughs) You remember what Jesus did in Cana, right? With the feast? Hey, Catholic drinky, you listening to this? What does Jesus do for a wedding feast in Cana? He changes water into wine, and guess what? It was a lot of wine. It was a lot of wine. He did not just change a couple of bottles of water into bottles of wine. These were those huge stone jars that they used, right, for the washing. This was a lot of wine, folks. It's unbelievable. I had uh, I read accounts of uh, or studies from certain Scripture scholars who said that uh, you know, for a, we don't know how big the wedding party was, okay? We don't know. But, you know, for a certain size wedding party, that wine could have lasted them two weeks. <laughs> Can you imagine? Boy, Jesus, he doesn't hold back, does he? Man, when he does something, he does it all the way. And so here we, here we go. He's making water into wine. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. 
So here you see what Jesus does at a wedding feast in Cana, and guess what? All of Scripture is pointing toward the wedding feast of the Lamb, his wedding feast. Now, what do you think he's going to do for his own wedding feast? It's going to be unbelievable. I mean, the only way that we're actually able are going to be able to, uh, well, of course, participate in it and everything else. But I mean, if you think about it, to experience that without being, I don't know, annihilated is because of his love and his mercy and the, and the, and the, the power and the strength he gives to us. That's the only way I can figure that we'd be able to sustain that, to survive it, is going to be that incredible. <laughs> it's just amazing. So anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of like where I'm coming from when I'm talking about food and faith. I'm talking about Scripture because I think that the Scriptures are alive. I think that the, the, the Scriptures are obviously alive. That's what's revealed to us. That's the way the church approaches it. They're alive, and they have so much to say to us. Now, we'll say this. I've taken all those theology classes, you know, where you, you know, exegesis and you're, 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 you're delving in and breaking apart, breaking down the text and everything else, and there's definitely, definitely, definitely good stuff to be had there. Absolutely. I'm not going to knock that at all. But I think that oftentimes, especially in the academic world, a very simple yet extremely important fact is overlooked. All that you read in the Bible from beginning to end, it's all really stories. And stories are pretty simple. And you got to kind of read Scripture as a story, right? It's trying to tell you something. It's a story. It's not, you don't have to make it that complicated. There are old ladies, no offense if you're an old lady, there are old ladies who are reading the Bible as a story, praying the rosary at church, who are going to be dancing into heaven way before a lot of theologians and folks with big degrees who know how to exegete or whatever you call it, right? I mean, they're going to be in heaven long before all these folks. And I I count myself kind of in the middle. I I never went on. I did some grad work, and then I I left. I, I didn't continue with the grad work in theology. I started it, but I left. And I thought in a way, I mean, there's several factors, but I thought in a way for me, it could have been a challenge to my salvation to go on because, well, then it would be all about me and how smart I am and how much I know. And, you know, check me out. I've got a degree in theology. I can tell you how it is. You don't have to read the Bible. Just listen to me. Well, I, you know, some people may be called to to that, and, and that's how they become holy. For me, I think it would have ended in a, in a bad way <laughs> because of my pride. So anyway, enough of that. I just wanted to state for the for the record here that my approach to food and faith is very different. It's based on the scriptures. It's based on the story, the story of the scriptures, and the fact that in a lot of ways, food food plays a very important role in scripture. And food is sort of like a metaphor, but more than a metaphor. All right, food is used in scripture to show us things about. God, about ourselves, about life, about heaven, um, about our needs. But it's more than that, about family. And there's just so much that it shows us. And, it, and it's sort of like a, it's, it's, it's a sign and a symbol. 
right? In a lot of ways, sacramental. Not a sacrament, all right? But sacramental. Food is kind of sacramental in nature because it's in meals, not just the food itself, but preparing the food and, the, and, and sharing the meals, meals shared together. All these things uh, are signs and symbols to us of elements of real life, right? Life with God, what's really real in life. And that, those are the kind of things that I think about. Those are the kind of things that I'm looking at. That, those are the kind of notes I'm taking as I make notes for this, uh, for this book slash cookbook thing. And that's where I started this whole segment. I started telling you about Dane Faulkner and how awesome he is and the idea that he shared with me the other day or last week at the CNMC. He said, he said, you know, Jeff, you're, you're, uh, you're a podcaster. You know, you blog, you write, because I am a writer. I do love to write. But you're a podcaster. You're, you're very good with uh, the microphone, and you have the equipment. You have everything that you need. He says, have you ever thought about this? Why don't you podcast the book? Why don't you podcast the process of writing the book and invite your listeners to participate and to help nail out, hammer out the final the final product. I thought, wow, that's a really cool idea. And that's a great idea. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, taking his advice, I'm going to start to uh, to write this book with you. And I'm going to write it via podcasting. And so all you have to do is uh, listen to the particular episode and comment, write in, call in, whatever it may be. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, you get to contribute to the book, and I'm not sure how we're going to do this yet. I don't know how it's going to happen in the end. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to have a, uh, some pages in the book that are dedicated to those who helped and contribute, contributed and, and um, you know have like names printed there. I don't know yet. I haven't gotten that far. But, uh, but that's what I'm saying. This is like a pre-announcement because I don't have all the details yet. But this is what's coming, folks, okay? That's, that's, that's what I want to tell you. This is what's coming, and it's coming very quickly. Now, what I thought about, and you, you need to let me know what you think about this. What I thought about is, what if I were to set this thing up as a, a separate feed? So it would not be the Catholic foodie feed where... You're going to iTunes for your, you know, if you use iTunes, or you're going to your podcatcher, whatever it is, iTunes for me, and you have the Catholic Foodie podcast, and it's not going to be in that regular feed. This would be something different because not everybody's going to want to do this. I think it's cool, and I think everybody should just because, hey, you know, it's fun. <laughs> and it's new, and it's different, and it's exciting. But what I think I will do, and also I don't want to complicate it, kind of muddy the waters with, uh, with the Catholic Foodie Podcast. What I would do instead is start a different feed. I haven't named it yet. What I ought to do the first, the first uh, <laughs> that's what I ought to do. The very first episode of this particular book writing podcast ought to be me sharing with you the two and a half pages of possible titles I came up with. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be exciting. And you can let me know what you think. Anyway, uh, so here's my, my idea. My idea is I'm going to set up a separate feed. It will not be part of the Catholic Foodie feed, although I will, I will remind listeners of the Catholic Foodie every episode to go check out the other 
uh, podcast because that's the book and you can contribute. You can help out. You'll get credit in the end, right? And I don't know what else. I don't know if there's some other special things that could be done. I don't know. I mean, first of all, I've got to find a publisher for the book, right? And I'm thinking that, hey, this was a great idea because I can do the book like this, write the book in the open, out in the open, on the airwaves of new media, the Internet, and, um, and maybe somebody in publishing is going to come across this and say, hey, this is great stuff. We've got to publish that book. And, man, Jeff Young is so awesome. He's writing this. He, we get, let's pay him a million dollars for that. <laughs> all right, all right. That's a joke. That's a joke, sort of. Um, but anyway, who knows? Just the fact that I'm doing this out in the open online might be enough to catch the attention of some publishers, too. And they say, hey, I like this. Let's do it. So that's the idea. I'd love to know what you think about this. Uh, please give me a call, 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974, and let me know what you think about this idea. Dane, you rock. I love the idea, but I want to hear from you. What do you think of this idea? We have a little health tip here for you today. You know, we're following this format of an aperitif, an appetizer, and then a salad. We're about at the salad point right now where we have a little health tip. And here's the health tip. Very simple. Eat breakfast every day. (laughs) Simple, right? Uh, But, you know, a lot of people don't, myself included. I am a terrible example. That's why I'm giving this health tip. Because I don't do it. I I eat coffee for breakfast every day. That's my sustenance for at least the first half of the day, uh, which is terrible, by the way. I know that. I know that. I don't have anything to say for myself. But I I want you to be healthy. So I'm, I'm telling you, eat breakfast every day. You know, I started doing that actually during Lent uh, when so many great things were happening for me. Um, I did start eating breakfast every day for Lent. We ate, I ate oats, a bowl of rolled oats that I add a little water to. I heated up in the microwave for a minute and a half. I threw raisins or we had dried cranberries sometimes, uh, walnuts, little honey. Um, I think that was about it. Put that kind of, you know, put that in there, stirred it up. And that's what I had for breakfast. And guess what? I started eating breakfast every day and I started losing weight. I can't believe that. That's amazing. So I start eating more, and I lose weight. I don't know the science of all that, but when I mentioned it to Char, she said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. Why? I don't know. Something about metabolism, something about not eating all day, then you wind up eating too much at night. I don't know. Anyway, that is... uh, (laughs) That's what happened. I started losing weight. So I told you about my oats. I want to tell you, too... Just very quickly about uh, something else my kids were eating just this past week. You know, we have a friend of ours who's a farmer. I've mentioned him before, Russell. I mentioned him before on the show, and he gave us, I mean, huge bags full of fresh blueberries that they, uh, he has these, he's just got fields and fields of blueberry bushes or trees or whatever, and he just picked all those things, bags of them. And so Char was making blueberry waffles. 
Wow. But she was taking oats and she was um, using her Cuisinart to kind of grind it up into flour. So it wasn't regular flour. It was like this oat flour. And she was making these waffles. Look, let me tell you, that was like, you know, slap your mama good kind of stuff, right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff you, you, you're you going to eat breakfast because breakfast is just so good. That's the kind of stuff it is. So uh, excellent. We're running out of berries. I don't know what we're going to do about that. But I wanted to share that with you. Yummy stuff. Eat your breakfast, folks. You might lose weight. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of the can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Now, I want to share with you a recipe for red beans and rice. Here's another staple. This is a staple of Louisiana culture. Uh, You know, Mondays, traditionally, red beans and rice days. I think I've actually shared my own recipe for red beans and rice, or at least white beans and rice. Um, It's been a long time, maybe even a year ago. Uh, But it's a staple because, you know, back in the day, before we had all this modern technology and things that could help us out in the kitchen, uh, Monday was the wash day. It was the day the week started. It was coming back after the weekend, and it was like the wash day. And so you didn't want to have to spend all this time in the kitchen cooking, so what do you do? Well, you just put on a pot of beans. Beans can cook all day, and uh, at the end of the day, ooh-wee, you talk about good stuff. So that's kind of the tradition here in Louisiana, at least South Louisiana, with red beans and rice. And I mentioned to you earlier uh, this this uh, this wonderful, wonderful lady, Marcel Bienvenu. I interviewed her last July for the show. She has been a food critic, food writer, a recipe writer, cookbook writer, chef, you name it, since I think the late 60s. I mean, she's she looks like she's about 14 or maybe 19, <laughs> but she's been around, you know what I mean, in a good way. Uh, matter of fact, she teaches at John Foles, Chef John Foles Culinary Institute right now, and that's um, that's here in, in Louisiana. Uh, she's a natural cook and a great storyteller. That's the thing. And this cookbook, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to share with you her red beans and rice recipe, and the, the name of the cookbook is Who's Your Mama, Are You Catholic, and Can You Make a Roux? Who's Your Mama, Are You Catholic, and Can You Make a Roux? Roux, as you know, is the basis for uh, gumbo. You got to make a roux. That's matter of fact where we get that word ruby, ruby.com, or you can get a free 14-day trial of the full uh, package there at ruby.com. It's an online cooking school by going to catholic.ruby.com, R-O-U-X-B-E.com. But, you know, you make a roux. Roux is used in French cooking. Uh, to make kind of like gravies or sauces or things like that. Uh, Well, in gumbo, you make a roux. That's the first thing you do is make a roux. And matter of fact, the directions in a lot of cookbooks, you know, first you make a roux. So who's your mama and are you Catholic? Those two parts of the, uh, the title of the cookbook, well, it's just traditional, I guess, southern Louisiana stuff here where most people, uh, you know, in this part of the country, this part of the state, are Catholic. 
large majority of the uh, population. And back a little further back, when Marcel was growing up, it was definitely like that. Especially she she grew up in the Lafayette area, western, southwestern Louisiana, where I mean it's just you know solid Catholic base there. So that's when you start dating somebody, that's the first thing they'd ask you: Who's your mama? And are you Catholic? <laughs> Who's your mama? And are you Catholic? Here for this uh, this cook book. Who's your mama? Are you Catholic? And can you make a roux? And let me share with you a bit here. Uh, her recipe for red beans and rice. She calls it red beans my way. Uh, You need a pound of red kidney beans. And Camellia is a brand here that we, it's it's like the best. We love this. Camellia beans. So we get red kidney beans, two quarts of water, half a cup of beef broth, three tablespoons of vegetable oil, two cups of chopped onions, one cup of chopped green bell peppers, uh, one and a half cups of chopped celery, uh, one pound of smoked pork sausage cut crosswise into half-inch slices, a half a pound of ham pieces, three bay leaves, two pinches of dried thyme, salt, black pepper, and cayenne pepper to taste, chopped green onions for garnish. Ho, oh, you talk about good. Yeah, this is some good stuff here. You know, she's talking about pork sausage and ham pieces. There ain't nothing that makes beans taste better. I don't even know if that's grammatically correct. There ain't nothing that makes beans taste better than uh, ham bones. Ham bones are good. Or ham hocks, whatever you want to get them. When you make beans and put that stuff in there, oh my God, you talk about add to the flavor. Incredible. Anyway, this is the instruction. She gives us these instructions. that says, soak the beans overnight in cool water, which is what we do. Uh, before cooking, drain and sort out any bad beans. Place the beans in a large soup pot or a kettle, along with the water and beef broth, and bring to a gentle boil. Just a side note here, I've never used beef broth to make my beans, but I think I'm going to try it. That sounds, uh, sounds good. Heat the oil in a large skillet over medium heat. Add the onions, the bell pepper, celery, garlic, sausage, and ham. Cook, stirring until the veggies are soft and lightly golden. Six to eight minutes. When the beans have come to a boil, add the vegetable and meat mixture. Add the bay leaves, the thyme, the salt, and the peppers. Reduce the heat to medium-low and cook, stirring occasionally until the beans are very tender, about two hours. I like my red beans a little creamy, she says. So I remove about two cups and cream them in a food processor or blender and return them to the pot. We do that too. I love mine creamy, and I actually kind of I like a lot of liquid in mine. I hate to say watery. It's not watery. It's good, juicy gravy kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh, it's very creamy, not too thick. I like it like that. Uh, matter of fact, there's a Mardi Gras song called Me Like It Like That. All right, serve the red beans over rice topped with a sprinkling of minced green onions. And I, I could eat green onions on pretty much anything. Very good stuff. Uh, so that that's uh, Marcel's recipe. Uh, pretty much the same thing that we do here, except for the fact, and I, and I say this now, and I say it kind of with a tear, um, you know, Char is not as much into meat as I am. I like meat, and I want meat in my red beans and rice and my white beans. I want ham or sausage or something. 
but she's, uh, she's not, uh, you know, into all that. So what, what do I do? I do what any good husband would do. I sacrifice and I offer it up for the poor souls in purgatory. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it really is good stuff. Really is good. If you have a choice and you can use ham or sausage, I highly recommend it. It adds a, a flavorful dimension that um, I just, I can't even describe. It's that good. Hi, I'm Penny. And I'm Ray. And, and this is, is Mary in, in the, the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> Hey, y'all, and welcome to the kitchen. I'm fresh back from the Catholic New Media celebration, and after a week, I have to admit I fully expected to be running at 100%. Yes, I did. Six months pregnant or not. Two little kids in my care or not. Huge family goings-on or not. Well, hey, laugh with me, will you? Because I'm sure not at 100%, and my kitchen shows it. This Sunday, on the Feast of the Assumption, I'm not going to be in my kitchen much. I'm going to be welcoming my sister-in-law home to Ohio. She's moving back in a caravan of brothers and family and stuff from New Orleans. It's a sad story, and I won't get too far into it. But... I do need to share some of it because my understanding of the Assumption of Mary will never be the same. In January of this year, my 38-year-old brother-in-law passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. There was no warning, no time to prepare, nothing. He left behind a young widow and two daughters, ages 12 and 9, who you hear every week at the beginning of this segment. You might say they even inspired this whole Mary in the Kitchen project, but that's a different story. Alan died on the Feast of the Epiphany, which was celebrated on January 3rd this year. It felt very much like Mary was involved right from the beginning, like she was standing at the foot of the cross with us. Though we grieved and questioned and wondered. I never doubted that she knew, that she saw, that she was taking our prayers straight to her son. The fact that Susie and the girls are moving on a major Marian feast seems to confirm that feeling I have of a hand in mine, an arm around my shoulders, a set of arms carrying us all. This year, as I joined the church in celebrating Mary's glorious entry into heaven, I'll be thinking of my brother-in-law. When my sister-in-law, the one whose faith has remained steadfast not only through this, but also through other major tragedies, hugs me hello, I'll feel in her arms a taste of heaven. I'll feel it in the tears that are likely to fall, in the laughs we're sure to share, and in the presence of her physically with us. That's what the Assumption is all about. It's about being with those we love in heaven. It's about actually touching and actually seeing them. We'll have a big dinner, of course, both on Sunday when my sister-in-law and nieces arrive and in heaven, 
It's just a natural part of how we gather. I imagine the same was true when Mary arrived in heaven, and maybe she was even able to have a hand in some of the preparation and behind-the-scenes work. It's not so different from last weekend's Catholic New Media celebration. We gathered to learn, yes, but we did a lot of eating, too. And best of all, we were in person, just like the Assumption. Mary, in person. Go find her this week, in person. Stop by a chapel, pop into a church, go visit a shrine. Seek out your Mama Mary and let her comfort you. She's just waiting to introduce you to her son. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was a a wonderful reflection. I mean, first of all, you know, you and I have talked before. I'm very sorry about all the stuff that your family is going through. I mean, with your brother-in-law and sister-in-law and, um, you know, and I'm I'm glad that they're getting to move back. That's, That's a good thing to be close to family. Um, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with your, your thoughts there. And it was wonderful seeing you again at the CNMC. It was so much fun. And uh, I was actually there at a few of those meals. And I was very happy to be there face-to-face in person with you. So um, even though you didn't share your Oreos with me, gosh, what was going on with that? Anyway, <laughs> thank you again, Sarah, so much for Mary in the Kitchen. Now I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm, oh, I can't believe this. You know, we're already out of time. I can't believe it. I didn't do too good this episode. We had so much to do. Uh, we had the, uh, the interview with Sarah Vabulous. I'm gonna have to push back some of the stuff that I had planned, and uh, and just include that in next episode. We had feedback. I still have some feedback from Mary to share with you. Didn't get to that uh, yet, and uh, we have that review. I haven't gotten to that yet either. Uh, I mean, goodness gracious, I wanted to share something about hamburgers with you. Just so many things that could not, could not add this episode. Uh, So I'm going to push that back and we will include it in episode 84 of The Catholic Foodie. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This Mm -hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Well, that wraps things up for us here, folks, on episode 83 of The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm so glad that you spent the time with us, and I'd love to know what you think. You got any comments, questions, suggestions, anything you'd like to share with me, give me a call at 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974, or email me at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Dot com. You can find us over at catholicfoodie.com uh, or facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm so Until next time, bon appétit. I'm Julia Child. Bon appétit. Bon appétit. Bon appétit. Bon appétit.
SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.